in this episode, data science and the coronavirus, finding that needle in a very big haystack, and guess who grew up in the Human Genome Project? Oil and gas has always challenged technology. Now it's time for tech to challenge back. Come hear how the best minds in the industry are making those solutions a reality on the Oil and Gas Technology Podcast with your host, Mark LaCour. Hey folks, before we get into our guests, the number one way to help support this show and our eight other oil and gas podcasts is simply leave me a review. It takes a couple minutes. If you like what we're doing, we love the four and five star reviews. And if you don't like what we're doing, tell me what we need to improve. And once again, before we get to our guests, big shout out to the sponsor of this show, Nutanix. If you need help modernizing your data center and running applications at any scale, on-prem or in the cloud, these are the folks you want to talk to. And I am very, 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 very lucky to have Michael O'Connell from TIPCO on my show today. How are you doing today, Michael? Good, good. How are you doing, Mark? Well, in these times, we're doing good, but there's other people out there that are less fortunate. And before we get into all the stuff we want to talk about, let's back up a little bit. Explain a little bit what TIPCO does in your Spotfire product, and let's talk a little bit about this coronavirus thing that's going on and some of the work that y'all already looked into with this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you know, I'm the Chief Analytics Officer at TIPCO. I look after our analytics products in the field. I have a data science team as well. You know, Spotfire is popular there in, in Houston for a variety of things, especially in the upstream, you know, exploration, production type analyses, you know, finding the action in the data is what the product does. So yeah, I guess in terms of the second part of your question, you know, we've been trying to look at some data on this COVID-19 infection pandemic. And really, we took the approach of just trying to understand what's going on with the data, with the people who are doing the epidemiological modeling, and see how we might be able to make a contribution of surfacing data and, and try and understand it from a modeling, you know, visual data science perspective. So it's, you know, if you think about this environment that at least we have in our software, it allows you to immersively explore data, it allows you to predict and do data science. And it allows you to get real-time updates of data. So those are the three things. And we're so it is a you know a tool that's very good in the energy sector. But in terms of understanding this COVID-19, there's a lot of data flying around all over the place that we've been digging into and, and looking at it and trying to understand. There's a couple of parameters there, modeling parameters that really capture the the essence of the problem. One is called the R0, the reproduction number which is the average number of people infected from a person who has an infection. That's a very important parameter in the modeling. And then the other one is the case fatality rate. You know, what's the rate of people who die from people who are diagnosed? And, you know, this virus is really nasty because it has a long incubation period. So people who get it, you know, don't have any symptoms, especially the young ones, don't have any symptoms for a number of days, you know, sometimes more than a week. And so they think it's fine to go out and hang out and all that. But yeah, when people who catch it who are older, the case fatality rate for people above 60, above 70, above 80 goes up to, you know, 5, 10, 20%. But you know, Michael, so we've been looking hard at this too, and there's a lot of data out there that it's almost like people are trying to sensationalize this. It's not based on data science. It's based on hypotheses, and they construe the data and the analytics to feed you know, some of that fear-mongering stuff. And so I'm just really happy that TIPCO is actually doing what y'all do best, which is applying the data science rules to both the data, the cleanliness of the data, and the analytics to try to come up with facts, not sensational headlines. Exactly. Yeah, we really wanted to make a take a scientific approach on this. 
because, you know, the thing is, you know, the number of cases is growing exponentially. And so you can kind of like, you know, if you get too freaked out about it, it just, you know, paints this, you know, really grim picture. You kind of have to, you know, really kind of get cold and hard on the data to try and see, you know, get your arms around it because of the fact that it's an exponential, you know, rate of growth. That's where people just kind of freak out when they see some of the numbers and they go into this sort of anxious mode. You have to kind of, like you say, get a level head, boil it down. What is the mechanism of spread? What are some of the parameters that are involved? And those two parameters have really emerged, you know, this reproductive number, you know, the average number of people infected from a person who has an infection and the case fatality rate, you know, what's the proportion of people who are diagnosed who die. And that's the bottom line. And so if you can kind of get your hands around that, and we've been doing some spot fire modeling of this reproduction number and how it's affected by the various social measures that people are, are talking about, the social distancing and, you know, closing the schools and, you know, limiting gatherings, cleaning your hands often. Turns out that those things really have a big impact on the reproductive number. So we really can be doing a lot about it. And, you know, we've known that, you know, right back to the 1918 Spanish flu, which this COVID is 19 is being compared to. When that came into Philadelphia, the people there were like, ah, don't worry about it. No one's getting sick. And so they just didn't do any of those social measures. And then they had a massive outbreak. Now, when it came into St. Louis some weeks or months later, the first sign of it, the mayor of St. Louis said, no, we're going to shut the city down. We're not going to, you know, we're going to stop social gatherings. He put in place all the things we're trying to put in place right now. And St. Louis didn't have a very big epidemic. And so it's like the thing I want to point out here to your point, Mark, is like these social distancing measures that all the authorities are putting in place, stopping handshakes, cleaning your hands, cleaning and disinfecting surfaces, avoiding gatherings, keeping a distance between yourself and others when you have a social encounter, you know, covering up your coughs and sneezes, stay home, isolate if you feel, you know, all those things, they actually dramatically lower this R0 parameter. In fact, that early part of the China, the Wuhan outbreak, there was a study done and they showed that the R0 was around 2.3 or so. And then they implemented this isolation and travel restrictions and it dropped down to 1.05 a week later. Now, wow. 1.0 on the R0 means that it's not spreading. That's the critical number you want to kind of try and keep below. And so, yeah, in a two-week period in this study that they did on that early Wuhan outbreak, 2.35 down to 1.05 in two weeks. That's incredible. With the travel restriction. Now, that's the kind of stuff that we want to you know, hear and understand scientifically so that we can act on it and stop this thing rather than just kind of freaking out about the exponential growth of it, which is a freak out. But, you know, what can we do, I guess, is the thing we're trying to you know, hone in on. Yep, us too. What can we do to help our fellow humans, right? And not sensationalize this at the same time. That is a danger. You need to be aware of that. You know what, Michael, I told you this show's probably going to go out later. I think this show's going to go out next week because of the importance of getting this message out. And you have a blog post that's coming out showing this data and showing what's going on with the COVID-19 virus, don't you? We do. It's a very detailed scientific analysis from a bunch of different data sources, you know, including the popular Johns Hopkins data source, but we've also got data from Korea. You know, we're, we're bringing in a bunch of different data sources into Spotfire. We're looking at modeling this R0, as just been talking about, as a function of time, using some up-to-date R packages. You know, we've got visualization of showing the, the trends and how they fit with the model. We've got some, you know, compartment models of looking at going from a compartment of susceptible to exposed to infected to recovered, that whole process, as you might appreciate, different people are on different stages of that. They've got different susceptibilities. They, you know, that, that whole thing is so in motion that you have to have a 
compartmental math model underneath it to look at the transition probabilities and so on. So, so yeah, we've been doing our thing, Mark, to your point, trying to stay scientific, combining, you know, the data science with the visual analytics in Spotfire and, and getting the, you know, refresh and real-time data updates, trying to bring that triple play that we have at TIBCO, visual analytics, data science, and streaming to bear on those data to just, like you say, to, you know, peel back the kind of sensationalism and just kind of get to the cold, hard data. And, you know, I'd rather know what I'm up against than to not know, right? And so even though you can see this thing exponentially growing, it's like, yeah, at what rate? And how can we impact it? You know, those are the things we're trying to, you know, get a handle on, right? Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes to your blog post that when by the time people hear this, they can go to your app, whatever you're listening to this podcast on, click on the notes, there'll be a clickable link to the blog post with the data. This is awesome, y'all are doing this. Now, here's something that's funny. You and I haven't talked about this beforehand, but you know, we've grown a lot in the last couple of years since you and I first met. And I now have a person that does nothing but manage our live events. And she actually is using an instance of Spotfire to look at the analytics around our live events, such as weather, time of day, how many days we promote, where we promote it, do we spend money? And she's, she's using Spotfire to um, optimize our live events. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, if she wants, a, if she wants a hand on any tips and tricks, you know, let, let me know. I'll uh, spend some time with her. Yeah, she's a geo nerd. So she's used to using a tool. And I just think it's a great application. I never would have thought of it myself. But once again, it is a big data problem. And if somebody that knows how to use Spotfire can take these big data sets and actually help drive good business decisions. The geo part you just mentioned, Mark, I mean, you can see where your customers are coming in from and understand how you might want to, you know, contact them, right? Yeah, it's great. And this is a perfect segue. I didn't do it on purpose, but it's a perfect segue into talking about what's going on in oil and gas. Now we're in this extremely hostile, low crude price environment. Companies are laying people off. Halliburton just today, today is Wednesday, just announced a big layoff. I expect more to happen. And now being efficient in your operations, especially in upstream, is uber critical. And literally, that's what Spotfire and Tipco does in the oil and gas industry is drive those efficiencies. Right, exactly. Yep, absolutely. And I think we were going to talk today about the different parts of the upstream and downstream worlds where analytics can make a difference and create some value, right? Yeah. So let's start with upstream. So contrary to what a lot of people may think they're outside the oil and gas industry, there's still a lot of the drilling and completion and production process that is based upon experience, not hard data. And I'm laughing just because if you're in the industry, you're laughing with me. If you're not in the industry, you're probably scratching your head. But that is not an efficient way to do stuff. And at the same time, we're losing a lot of those people that have 20 or 30 years of experience. And that's going to only be accelerated by what's happening right now. And so the ability to drive the right crucial business decision using data is more important than ever. And that's literally what you help oil and gas upstream companies do. No, exactly. If you think about the upstream process, you know, you firstly have to understand where you're going to drill, right? So how do you characterize the reservoirs that you're working in to that effect? So yeah, we do analysis of reservoir data, whether it's seismic data or, you know, the impedances, you know, understand the rock and the ability in our tool, Spotfire, to you know, characterize a reservoir in terms of the sort of seismic data and the petrophysical data as well, and come up with a mathematical model for it. And then to be able to visualize the rock in the geospatial side of the product and go back and forth between, you know, the math representation and the geology representation to see if there's structure in the rock, how's that characterized by the math model? And how can I, you know, expand that view and go back to the rock and say, overlay, some petrophysical data like total organic carbon or something on top of the math representation of the seismic data 
and see where the best opportunity is, you know, for drilling. And then to overlay that on top of the current drill locations, you know, taking into account a model for drainage around the current, you know, drill paths that are in place and sort of tie all that together, Mark, so that you can sort of see, okay, here's my biggest potential, the overlaying the the TOC type petrophysical data on top of the rock, and here's where I've already drilled, and here's where I've where I've drained, and where's the most optimal place for me to put in a new drilling operation. Reservoir characterization really starts off the process, and you know, as part of that, you're also looking at your current wells that you know have got in place, and as you're figuring out where to put the new ones, and the cost reduction here is significant. So if if you can just identify, say, ten underperforming wells and get cost reduction on them with say, you know, $6 million per well of cost. And if you can reduce the cost reduction, say 25%, you know, all of a sudden you've got $15 million savings there. And so it's not, it's, these are not, you know, up at the reservoir characterization and, you know, where to drill and understanding the non-performing wells just at a high level, there's cost savings there before you even get into the drilling and completions, if you will. Right. And those cost savings actually can be quite substantial. I've seen it. You know, when you layer over science over, Combine it with the experience, it's it's a win-win for everybody. The completions part is always interesting to me because you can have the potential of a very high productive well, but if you do a bad job on completions, you could be upside down. You're not going to make money. And I've seen the opposite. I've seen marginal, what been marginal producing wells get completed really well, and all of a sudden they're making money. It's another place where Spotfire can come in and help operators get their completions down pat. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before I get to completions and give you a little story there, let's actually just go from, you know, where we've identified a place to drill in the previous discussion and then actually do that drilling, right? So I know there's... Okay. So, you know, some things during the drilling, we've got some applications where we're getting data directly off of the WITSO feed from the drill bit and we're able to understand the state of the drill bit, like in a sub-second manner. So, you know, is it tripping in, tripping out, sliding, rotating, you know, what, what's the state of it? And then we can track, you know, the path, the drill path. So if you're, you know, especially in the shale, this is important. So you're, you might have an optimal plan of where you want to land, but, you know, you can see you're going off course on the plan trajectory. So in Spotfire, we can calculate those corrections and then apply them to the real-time data so we can get you back on to the plan trajectory and even determine what is the best yet to drill path from where you are, right? That's important. And then, you know, having that real-time data, we can do things like model the bitware as a function of things like the aggressiveness and the mechanical specific energy and so on. So we're able to look, say, the wear factor, model that as a function of weight on bit, rate of penetration, and train up a model for that on historical data and then apply that to the new data so that if you you can get a warning sign, early warning sign to see, ah, oh, you know, I might be in a high wear situation. If I back off a little bit, I'm going to avoid, you know, blowing up my bit or, or whatever else. So that combination of planning, you know, before you start with the, you know, based on your experience, what's the best drill bit to use and then monitoring the drilling operation while it's going on, there's a lot of efficiencies there. And then finally, to your point about completions, you know, if you've got data on, you know, other wells, you know, you might be able to figure out, we have done this for a number of companies, how to achieve, say, a similar average horizontal lateral length with, you know, fewer fracking stages. So if you can just take out, you know, a couple of fracking stages, you know, across 100 wells, that adds up into the millions as well. If you've got, you know, say, 
fifty hundred thousand dollars per frac stage and you can take out some stages you know you've got 100 wells you know you're up in you know 20 million dollar land as as well and then on you know the drilling stuff i t- said earlier just kind of the analysis of historical drilling and, and drill bit recommendations in Spotfire, and then using our TIBCO streaming product to do the real-time drilling and monitoring of the drill path and bitware and so on. If we just can reduce one day out of a drilling operation that takes 30, 40, 50 days, and you've got you know a couple hundred wells, you know, again, you're up into the tens, hundreds of millions of dollars in savings. So these things add up, Mark, as you know, when you're putting a bit of just a bit of analytics onto the reservoir characterization process to choose where to drill on the drilling process itself and then on the completions process you know you got a couple hundred wells here we're taking out 10 20 50 100 million dollars per shot here in, in those three three steps you know it's real money it's not only is it real money but it's other things too so because you are predicting maintenance instead of waiting for something to fail before you repair it you're now not rolling trucks at three in the morning, right? So you're actually affecting HS&E metrics and oil and gas as well because you have less non-productive time and less you know, emergency roll somebody out because you know we, we stuck a piece of pipe in the hole or whatever. Right. I love that. I love the fact you touch HS&E metrics too as a byproduct of the cost savings, which is awesome. Yeah, no, absolutely. And a lot of companies are big on that. You know, It was interesting to me, I, some of our friends over at Hess who use a lot of Spotfire, I uh, was looking at their most popular analyses in their Spotfire library uh, recently. Did a nice graphic of, you know, what are the all of the analyses that are people are using across the company? What are the most popular ones? And you know, the HSE stuff was right near the top of the list. I, you know, uh, maybe maybe it's to do with the fact people are, you know, part of their bonus depends on that or whatever. But and it's like, so you know, it's a company wide, you know, mandate and all that. But no, it's you know, understanding HSE as you go along the optimization process, they kind of go hand in glove, right? No, they do. And I've seen, and I can't now not remember where this was. It was a refinery, I think, somewhere in the U.S. This was a few years ago. But somebody was doing some big data analytics on a turnaround, and that's when you have this massive influx of contractors to come in to help you repair and replace parts and pieces. It's planned. It's a very expensive job in the downstream part of the industry. And they were doing big data analytics on something totally unrelated to HS&E. And they were actually using Spotfire. And they discovered that this one group of contractors had less lost time instance than these other groups doing the same job. And somehow they figured out it was the color of the vest that they were wearing. Like no person could have looked at all those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of Excel spreadsheets and figured that out. And yet Spotfire was able to go in and find a problem that the people didn't really even know they had and found the solution. And stories like that are just great. I love when you see technology make real rubber hit the road impacts to the business. And I know I jumped way ahead to downstream type of stuff, but I want to stop Michael real quick. If you know people are listening and most, I assume most people in the industry have seen Spotfire or played with it or been exposed to it. But if they haven't seen Spotfire, let's talk real quick about what it actually does and how easy it is to roll into your current operations. Yeah, for sure. You know, so it's available in a bunch of different formats. There's a web version, an authoring thick client version. You know, a lot of companies will set up a server where you can you know, save your results and they automatically, automatically become available over the web to your, your community. But yeah, it's a point and click way of accessing data blending, merging, cleaning the data, and then visualizing it, including some fairly advanced geoanalytics and predictive analytics along the way. So it's really a you know one-stop shopping. It's like has all of the pieces you need in it to access and data, wrangle data, you know, do the visual analytics, fit some data science models, you know, update them, 
automatically as batch or, or streaming applications. So yeah, it's a kind of one-stop shopping for visual analytics, data science and streaming and the energy sector loves it. We have a lot, a lot of traction across Houston. You know, we have that annual event you've been to, Mark, where we got, you know, a thousand or so people come along to it, just enthusiastic around how to use Spotify. There's hackathons, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's, it's a popular tool in the energy sector. It's really cool. So besides building a super useful tool, y'all actually built a community. And I don't know if that was an accident or on purpose, but I think it's, I love coming to your events because you hear different use cases. You get to talk to people actually are using it to run their business. And it's just, it's just a great group of people. I think I missed the last one because we were just busy as all get out, but I want to definitely make sure I make the next one. So let's talk a little bit real quick though. If, you know, there's a lot of smaller independent operators up there that may go, well, we can't afford these huge enterprise licenses for all this technology. Spotfire is not like that. You could roll Spotfire into a two-man operation if you wanted to. No, absolutely. There's this Spotfire, you know, standalone analysis software available. You don't have to put the whole service structure in if you don't want to. And, you know, as I've been trying to point out along the way here today, the value generated is part of the reason why it's so popular in, in Houston. You know, the one other use case we didn't talk about, Mark, was just production surveillance. And if you've got wells out there and you want to get the most out of them, you know, that's huge. I mean, let's say a moderate sized EP company, maybe you've got, you know, 400,000 barrels of oil a day, something like that. We've consistently been able to uplift production by at least 1% just by getting data from the well, understanding how to optimize the production, you know, from data coming off the well. You know, for example, if you see this intermittent production pattern or whatever with you know pressure going up you know which could be a you know block tube or you know variety of things that could be being able to you know johnny on the spot fix that before it gets out of control you know really really lowers the non-productive time we've been able to see that you know getting the you know at least one percent improvement say taking four hundred thousand barrels of oil a day to four hundred four thousand barrels of oil a day doesn't you know, sound like much, but you do the math on that over a year, it's like $73 million, you know, at a, at a you know, $30, $40 a barrel, which we're kind of testing at the moment. But even in these low price times, that sort of non-productive time minimization by just looking at the data, you know, early and often and making interventions, you know, stitch in time saves nine sort of thing. We've seen upwards of, you know, $500 million a year savings across a, a number of companies in Houston with our production surveillance you know, a solution combining, again, the visual analytics, the streaming updates on the data, and some, you know, very simple kind of data science models in there to predict when something's going to go go awry. Yeah, I mean, it's like the value that you can generate is big. But yeah, to get started, Mark, go back to your original question. It's easy to get started. You can, you know, you can download the software, check it out. You can buy a single license. We've got a cloud version of the product that you can subscribe to. So it's easy to get started. And you have a bunch of awesome resources like to learn how to actually use the product. Y'all, y'all have a great library of, of learning built around Spotfire and your other products. The other thing I really like about what Tipco does is I've talked to your sales teams before. They've never tried to sell me anything. All they really want to do is understand what problem am I trying to solve to see if Spotfire is a good fit. And, and, and I love that where the culture of your sales team isn't about making a dollar, but can I help these oil and gas companies solve problems? Yeah, if you can build value and help your customers solve their business problems, then you know building value has an effect of people buying you know the software. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, yeah, we do try and build value and understand you know the application first. And because we've had such a long history in Houston, as we understand the problem, 
there's you know 99 chance we've solved it somewhere else and so it's like we can bring together our subject matter knowledge along with the analytics to help you craft an approach you know for going forward and we found that leads to the commercial success that we've had rather than just trying to get out there and hawk our products. Yeah. And you keep mentioning Houston. Houston truly is the global center, epicenter of the oil and gas industry, but TIPCO is a global company. So if you're operating in Rio de Janeiro or Kongsberg, Norway, or, you know, Abu Dhabi, they got people there. They got teams there to help you. I mean, literally anywhere there's oil in the world, TIPCO can be there. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry for that. I keep forgetting you were on a podcast that you've now your group has grown beyond Houston since we first met through a broader community but yeah no we are in you know in calgary and denver and you know, north sea you know in south america australia it's like all over and the use cases are pretty similar across the board whether you're you know doing mining or, or shale or offshore whatever it's all about you know maintaining the equipment optimizing production figuring out how to do things smart with analytics keeping track of hse issues you know it's a similar type of you know, visualize the data, wrangle it, immerse yourself in it, spot the fire in the data. It's really how we like to talk about it. And then bring to bear the advanced techniques of geo and predictive and apply regular updates with streaming. And that's the sweet spot where we can combine all that stuff to create a lot of value for our customers. Yeah. You know, Michael, I was going to make a tongue in cheek joke when you're saying that saying, and now tracking pandemics, but I've never talked to you about this before, but is the medical market users of Spotfire? Yeah, you know, you'll see that blog when it comes out. But yeah, I think part of the work we're doing right now on the on the pandemic, some of our partners there, Change Healthcare, who has a product called Analytics Explorer built on Spotfire that is used by most of the hospitals around the US for just hospital operations. You know, those guys are right now trying to figure out how to gear up and plan for, you know, a bunch of people getting admitted to the hospital and so on. They're they're using Spotfire for that. You know, Perkinelma is a big partner of ours who works in the pharmaceutical sector. And, you know, their customers are trying to figure out vaccines and, you know, do R&D around chemistry and biology applications to figure out what's going on. So they're a huge Spotfire. They're actually a reseller of of our Spotfire product. Yeah, so you, that's where actually we got our start was back, you know, when the human genome was a hot topic back in the 90s. That was the vertical sector that we focused on was enabling biologists and chemists to do informatics to figure out drug design and, you know, that sort of thing. So, it's yeah, we're big in that space. You know, it's one of our core markets. I did not know that's where y'all got y'all started. I remember that human genome project. That was a huge, it's so funny now because that data set now doesn't look that big, but back then that data set was like (laughs) incomprehensible. Right, exactly, yeah. I mean, you had those genome arrays back in those days, like 100,000 genes were being run, you know, left and right on all kinds of different people. It was a lot of data back in those days. And we had the advantage, we were the only product that could fit that data in memory and allow you to do interactive digital analytics on it. What a great story. But yeah, no, it's that's kind of small data these days. And But yeah, you know, the bigger the data, the more variables, that's where Spotfire really excels. This kind of multi-variable, lots of columns and lots of rows, you know, that's the sweet spot for us. And that did come from that heritage in genomics and the, and the pharmaceutical world. Yeah. You know, it's a damn shame. We're getting where we need to wind down the show and you and I are just getting started. So this is what I think we're doing. I think we're going to go ahead and, and wind this show down, but I think we're going to get you back on. And we're actually, we have an onshore show and a downstream show that I think maybe we need to tell you 
Spotfire oh, yeah. story to those audiences. But this has been great, Michael. Real quick, this is the point of the show where we typically do product reviews. If you have a small techie type of product you want me to review, send it to me. I always tell the truth. If it's great, I'll say it's great. And if it's not so great, I'll say that too. This week, we don't have any products to review. You've heard me talk about the Street Team. It's an all-volunteer group. It's global. Literally go to Facebook. Just search for OGG and Street Team. You get cool shirts. You get to help us at our live events. You can join us as press if we're going to a conference in your geographic area. And then Nutanix, who's a sponsor of the show, is doing something really cool. And they're giving away these JB4 Flip Bluetooth speakers. Go to the show notes. We give away one a week. Just click on the link to register. And if you want to try to write it down, it's Nutanix.com forward slash OG Tech Podcast. But it's easier just to go to the show notes and click on it. And then while you're out there, go ahead and join our LinkedIn group. We're pushing 40,000 people in our LinkedIn group and growing like crazy. Search for OGGN on LinkedIn. You'll find it. So, Michael, you know, we have so much more to talk about, and I appreciate you coming on and bringing the data science element of this pandemic. You know, hats off to you and everybody over at TIPCO for helping chip in and play a part in this crisis that we're dealing with. But if people wanted to learn more about TIPCO, where should they go? Yeah, so there's a few places that we can, you know, land people. You know, there's the TIPCO community, community community.tipco.com. If you want to see that blog you were talking about, then on the pandemic, community.tipco.com slash blog is the place to see that. If you want to get a trial of Spotfire, that's uh, spotfire.tipco.com slash trial. Those are a few things that we've got out there, Mark, that I can send you some links to include in, in the circulation. Uh, show notes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then if people want to learn more about you, I'm guessing LinkedIn? Yeah, LinkedIn. My Twitter feed is at Mike O'Connell, so that's actually spelled M-I-C-H, O'Connell, O-C-O-N-N-E-L-L. That's my Twitter handle. And yeah, then just look me up on LinkedIn, friend me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to, you know, send you guys some links to some of the stuff we're working on, you know, in the blog and so on. Yep. Yep. And we'll cut links in the show notes, everybody. So instead of trying to write this down, just go to the show notes and click on all this stuff. This has been awesome. Michael, we got to get you back on the show because we just scratched the surface. But once again, I just really appreciate your time today. And, you know, I know everybody's, you know, working from home and trying to do some social distancing. You and I did this remotely, not because of the social density, because this is the only way we could get it done. But still, we played our role a little bit. But big appreciation for you coming on the show and, and sharing some of this information with our listeners. No, absolutely. Everybody, you know, our thoughts are with you. You know, look after yourselves, look after your friends, you know, educate others with the knowledge that you have, you know, be generous to others in your lives who are struggling with this thing and keep the young ones away from the old ones. <laughs> and yeah, good luck, everybody. And uh, Mark, I really look forward to coming back and talking with you more about the downstream sometime. Yeah, no, absolutely. So folks, we're making sure you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck. Hey, everybody. Alex here with the events on deck for the next month. We have some exciting things coming up Two happy hours, one in Pittsburgh and one in Denver. So the first one will be happening on March 22nd at Bubba's Gourmet Burgers and Beer. This event will be from four to seven and will feature a live recording of Oil and Gas This Week with Jake Corley and Mark LaCour. So be sure to check that out. You can sign up via our social medias. We have an Eventbrite sign up and should be good to go from there. The next event will be a happy hour in Denver at Liberty Oil Field Services on April 2nd. Once again, check our social medias for the Eventbrite sign up and sign up there. As some of our social media followers may know, we are headed to Aberdeen, Scotland the first week of March, in a couple days actually, for DokeroCon, creating high impact sales and energy. Dokuru is excited to launch its very first sales development conference, and OGGN's Mark and Patrick will be hosting a panel and recording a live podcast, so we're really excited to be joining that. The Leaders in Industry Luncheon 
is on March 11th at the Petroleum Club of Houston. Port of the Future is happening on March 10th and 11th in Houston. Your registration to the Port of the Future Conference also allows you access to exclusive events, including TSA Security and Terrorism, Research Showcase, and many more. So be sure to view the agenda and see what they are offering. The Houston Energy Breakfast will be on March 20th at the Norris Conference Center in Houston. The API Energy Houston 3-Gun Chapter will be on March 20th. This event is filling up very quickly, so make sure to get a team in as soon as possible. The BP Energy Outlook 2020 edition will be on April 21st. It's happening online. And this event is about transitions that will take place to a low carbon energy system. That's all for this month, everybody. Hope you guys have a good month and check back in next month to see what events we're having. Thanks. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil and Gas Tent Podcast, a production of the Oil and Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.